0: Okay, people, this is Just Because, the Human Experience Podcast. Today is uh, November 24th, 2022. This episode was recorded November 27th, 2021. I've hit peak procrastination almost a year later. This is um part two interview with my Dean, uh, Marcel J. Ford, or Dean Six, you'll hear me call him. Hope you're all doing okay. It's been a rough uh, two months, month and a half. Uh, So yeah, trying to keep in mind things I'm grateful for. Things I take for granted, which is time and people. So I'm trying to be better about that. I think we could all try to be a little bit better. A little bit more grateful for the people we have. Now I'm going to go continue drinking.
1: Hello, can you hear me? How you
2: doing oh how are you I'm overweight oh uh i don't mean to bring up old stuff i know exactly It's 2021 oh boy thank you for for doing this again thank you for having me back yeah
1: kind of wake up i have i'm getting over a little cold so my apologies
2: oh, no. no you're good i re-listened to sort of like the last 30 minutes of the other episode i didn't realize it was uh over a year ago. Jeez. Was it really? Yeah, it's May 2020. Wow. Yeah. Time um, goes by quickly, I guess. Yeah. So we left off. You jumped on a table at a at a. I think it was a <laughs> row barbecue.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, it was an interest event.
2: Yeah. So. How did you hear about the barbecue first?
1: Back in those days, in the Gamma chapter, it, everything was invite only. There were no flyers made for events it was 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 things they were doing it was a really really cocky error for us in this chapter and um that's how i knew about it it was always an invite for everything did you want
2: to be greek did you even think about that as you I wanted
1: to go through the pledging process because I had seen like everyone else, all those wonderful movies. Uh-huh. I wanted to experience that part of it, but I never actually wanted to be part of the Greek system itself.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I had this, you know, after being online and getting the crap beat out of me for a while, I had this whole plan of literally just crossing. And then when it was time for me to be done tell them that i wasn't interested in walk away that was the game plan but at my crossing ceremony i saw brothers there and realized that uh in particular i saw rudog i love my big bro rudog uh rudog and some brothers from fresno and i saw my big bro and decided that i wasn't going to do that because i didn't want to be disrespectful to them Mm -hmm. um Still to this day, I believe I have the shortest time ever at someone's crossing party because I wasn't at my crossing party more than 20 minutes before I was able to walk out and go home. And literally that's what I did, we did the party for us. We had something that was going to happen that night. It didn't happen and everything was OK. So I was like, all right, so I'm done. And they're like, yep. And I walked outside like I was just getting some air and just kept walking. Went home, took off my letters, put them on my table, got in bed, went to sleep.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. That was it. Why did you do that? Because I wasn't really interested in being part of the fraternity at that point. And I was very, very butthurt and upset about uh, the abuse that I took online. And, oh, now let's just be honest. I deserved a lot of the abuse (laughs) I got online. (laughs) let's just be honest <laughs> i'm not giving you some sob story or anything you know because right. uh i was probably the worst pledge you ever will see in your life if you're a big bro because i was very very uh me back then mm-hmm. and big brothers would be like you know drop and give me 20 and i would say yes sir but you can't you know yes. yeah <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I had a really bad attitude. You know, uh, I won't say attitude because you know we all have attitudes, positive, negative, indifferent. I was just very determined to not let them break me when I was online. And yeah, that didn't always work out very well for me. Mm-hmm. But- <laughs> and I was in an incredible shape back then. And so like the physical stuff didn't bother me at all. But in any case, I wasn't very interested in being part of the fraternity. I was just interested in proving that they couldn't drop me. Mm-hmm. But and then after I crossed, all uh-huh. that changed.
2: Well, the way the other one ended was you and Tripp got uh, into an argument when you first got there in the dorms. Yes. Um, so then how did you, why Epsilon Sigma Rho then? If I'm guessing there were other uh, fraternities on, on the campus.
1: Yes, everyone thought I was going to potentially go towards the gentleman, one of the African American fraternities that wear a lot of blue, one of the African fraternities that wear a lot of purple. It's easy way of saying it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wasn't the case. I wasn't interested in fraternities at all. And I had a number of the other side of the fence, traditional fraternities interested in me as well. And I never felt as if I needed people to be associated with because I was so much of a loner. Now, that being said, as I said before, I am a social butterfly. I love interacting with everyone. I love talking Uh to people. But at the same time, I didn't need a fraternity. And that turned out to be not the case in the end because fraternity True word means brotherhood, and what I needed back at that time were the people that were there that helped shape my life to help change some of the way that I did things, and I needed Epsilon Sigma Rho, and Epsilon Sigma Rho was just, besides the fact that so many of the brothers in the Gamma chapter, that being Chico State, were from back home being Los Angeles, Compton, Watts, Carson, Trip. Anywho, so <laughs> oh no, <laughs> <laughs> crap! I don't talk trash anymore. My bad. No, no. Um, no. <laughs> so ended up being something that I really did need, and at the same time, the fraternity was those gentlemen that were in charge back then were trying to mold me to be quote unquote the new trip, and that used to really bother me a lot, but. I stuck with it, you know. I think I've had a little bit of influence in fraternity over the years, one uh, way or the other.
2: Yeah, so. I would say uh, a lot of a lot of influence, at least in 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 our neck of the woods. So then, what clicked for you? You know, you left the party because feelings, and and you didn't feel like you really needed it. Um, I'm guessing that changed over time, where you you got more invested uh, as far as what you would want to contribute.
1: Well, how about this? You know that, is there anyone at ASU with a brand to your knowledge?
2: No, there's none of us.
1: Okay. And part of that has to do with the fact that there's only one brand. And supposedly Mm -hmm. it resides in Chico and -hmm. you have to either come to Chico or Chico, whoever owns, whoever has possession of it must go to you. So that's part of it. The other part of it is most of the time people with brands, when they get them, they're drunk off their butts. And it's just one of those macho things or whatever. I didn't get my brand until three years after I crossed. Mm -hmm. And I got my brand the day that I was ready to walk away from Epsilon Nostrum World forever. And I was literally at that point and said to myself, crap, you're going to walk away. You're going to leave all these people behind. You're going to cut all ties. And then I said, all right, you're getting a brand today. It was that simple. And I was like, if I get a brand, it's not like a tattoo. I can't get rid of it. Can't cover it. It's there forever. I can't run away from this. And the people that made commitments to be there for me, I need to be there for the future generations as well. Hence, why I was there for you. And the fraternity itself. (laughs) Okay, so part of my getting the crap beat out of me online a lot. Once again, my mouth talking trash, doing stupid stuff, but you're pledging. You're supposed to have fun, but I'm one of those people that I need to know why.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I was told over and over again, Oh, when you're done, you'll find out when you're done. someone will to tell you the reason why you did this and that. And you know, there's a lot of fun activities we do online. There's oh, yeah. a lot of activities we do online that just aren't so fun for the pledges. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And I was a little six and I had talked so much trash before I went online that, uh, I mean, I literally went on a tour. I'm not joking. I went to SAC, and during the summer I met a lot of brothers from Fresno and Davis. And I talked so much trash to these guys, telling them how incredible I was going to be online and whatnot. And And then, you know, I had a little bit of ego back then. And so I used to uh, apparently say this phrase that the Gamma Delta Pledge class was going to be so hard, we were going to make the Big Brothers cry. And many a time I was uh, asked the same question. Are we crying now, little bitch? Are we crying now? And my answer was usually no. (laughs) Because I I was having my butt handed to me. (laughs) But in any case, um, after I crossed, I was on a mission. I wanted and I am like extremely good about feeling remind reminding myself if I ever felt slighted by someone. And then also, if I ever felt that someone went out of their way to really help me. Those are two extremes. And I keep those in my mind like crazy. Mm -hmm. So everything that I did not enjoy or didn't like or didn't understand or wasn't explained to me well enough, I questioned. And I was on this mission. I was trying to meet people. You know, the typical neo is excited to be done and go party and, you know, meet the girls and stuff and drink. I didn't drink back then. All I wanted to do was I wanted if I went to a party, it's because I wanted to go to a party to go meet some, you know, big brother so-and-so. Because mm-hmm. I was told that Big Brother so-and-so was the first person to do this. And I wanted to go meet, you know, these four or five brothers that came to, came together to, you know, start part of our constitution and whatnot. I was interested in those things. And I was also interested in knowing why did I do X, Y, and Z on this night? And unfortunately, it turns out a lot of times the answers were, ah, we were bored. We didn't have thing to do that night. Or... We were just trying to make you drop that night or whatever. And I'm just like, are you serious? I'm thinking there's this huge <laughs> meaning behind X, Y, and Z. And you just, your girlfriend dumped you that night and you're bored and you're drunk. So you decide to, you know, have me have a, a not so fun night or whatever. Right. Um, and then, of course, they used the veil of me being a, a six, which is a significant number in our fraternity. Mm -hmm. and back then you know told over and over again sixes don't have rules you can do anything you want to do to a six which is i still actually love that idea because we want to eliminate as many people having that number as possible that's just how i was taught then i cross and then so so i had no curfew and i had no rules Mm -hmm. (laughs) so the rest of my sads had rules and curfews and on top of that you know, I'm Mac, Mac Family Food.
3: Family. I'm Mac,
1: and Macs have this tradition of abandoning, or the old tradition, you abandon your little brother when they're online, and they have to make it through the process on their own. Well, hell, the reason I came Mac was because I wanted Sniper, who was one of the most feared brothers in our fraternity at the time, to be protecting me and my trash-talking self, right? Mm-hmm. And then I find out, oh, he's not going to be there, you know, and he was there after we had a nice little talk and whatever else and other Macs were there so it worked out but i made a promise that after i crossed max were going to be protected online from now on you know but even even still the point is i wanted to become a student of epsilon Moreau. i wanted to know like cra- like the weird crazy stuff like why who was the first cat why do we have cats and dogs you know i wanted to know why we ate this on that particular day or something. I want to know why um, I can't say things without saying things. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, My point is, I just, I wanted to know everything. I wanted to know why I want to know who started it. And if I found out who's the person that started it, I wanted to go talk to that person and ask them where did they come from. What do they get these ideas from? Who, who influenced them? And I learned that a number of the things that we did or do fraternity wise, was either a adaptation or influence from other fraternities.
3: Hmm.
1: Also, a number of brothers that are older were in the military or had military parents. And then we just had some hmm. diabolical, creative <laughs> a-holes that <laughs> just, <laughs> diabolical. Just, just would think of things and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this tonight. Mm-hmm. You know, and then eventually, you know, you do it and someone likes it and then they copy it and and now it's being done everywhere. So I was not pleased to learn <laughs> origins of a number of our things and in our, our process and our history. But at the same time, I walked in to the fraternity because besides wanting to, you know, get through the process and do it. I could have done that with any fraternity, but Epsilon single role was completely different than everything else I experienced up until that point. And the brotherhood was, in my opinion, like it is today. I still think it's real. Why? Because we all don't get along. We all have issues. We all do not see things the same way, but push come to shove. The same brother that doesn't like you will still be there for you and protect you and help you out. Still ain't going to like you, but He will be there to help you and protect you out. Sorry, protect you. And it also extends past you as being a brother. That same love will extend to your family members as well, if need be. And that was something that was completely different from everyone else that I saw. I'm not saying it doesn't exist everywhere else, but from what I saw. And the whole idea of these different men coming together and saying that, Your religion, your race, your political beliefs don't really matter to me if you're my brother because now I'm going to learn from you and now I'm going to be that person who has a bit more of an open mind and whatnot. I'm not going to be perfect, but at least I'll know a little bit more. I wish that would extend to other things as I've been trying and push for years, but we'll get there eventually. We'll get
2: yeah. there. What is your earliest memory of, of this, this wanting to know how things work? Because a lot of people, they go through the process and they don't, I've noticed, don't ask why. Uh, they just kind of just, oh, I guess that's what we needed to do. So we just did it. Um, right. What is your, do you know where that comes from? Do you remember maybe the first time you started questioning how things worked? That life? comes
1: from my childhood, that abusive childhood of mine, and uh, wanting to understand why I was put in a particular position, why something didn't work out well for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, so growing up in South Central, my, whatever house I lived in or apartment or at that time, whatever my mom was, was always like a hub for a lot of my family members. And when you came to our house, whatever issues you had, they got pretty much dropped at the door. And when I say that, I have family members that are Crips and family members that are Bloods. But when you came into my mom's house, uh, she had a belt or whatever else. So that pretty much ended at the door. Uh huh. So <laughs> <laughs> that's no joke. <laughs> so, you know, my mom, she was always... Uh, Her family name is Skeeta. Her name is Patricia, but they called her Skeeta. And I guess Skeeta is their version of Scooter, Mm. the female version of Scooter. And so she's always been like a figurehead leader or whatnot, influencer in my family, good or bad. But so me as a kid, I used to always like question when I got in trouble for something because my family believes in this whole um, oldest kid is responsible older kids responsible for the younger kids cool so if the younger kids are screwing up then the older kids are the ones who gets the belt and then what that does is it makes the older kids uh <laughs> look out for the and make sure the little ones aren't doing stupid stuff or whatever right Or uh-huh. getting themselves in trouble that's the idea behind it what it really results in is the older kids later on kicking the little kids butts and eventually little kids will learn not to get into it, it. But <laughs> I was one of those little kids was like, you don't have to beat me up. You can just tell me what I didn't do right. And right. I'm good. Oh, I shouldn't go chase up chasing after the ball into the street. Cool. I got it. You know, there's no need yeah. for you to beat the crap out of me today. <laughs> you told me don't do it, I'm not gonna do it. All right, mm-hmm. I got it. So being online um if ever something i mean good or bad i still wanted to know why. why why are we doing this you know and some things were fun i mean i'm not gonna lie pledging was probably geez it was so much fun even the bad days were fun uh-huh. when you think about it after when i thought about it afterwards and i used to tell people all the time yeah this sucks but at the same time boy i'm having so much fun so <laughs> much fun and then uh i used to get myself in trouble because as a psych major And I used to really think about things just way too much. And when we would get something or quote unquote, earn something, Mm -hmm. my pledge brothers would be so happy and excited. And me, I just, I sit there thinking about it, analyzing it. Okay, whatever. And we would like have our walks home and, you know, we're like, oh, you know, we got so-and-so tonight. And I would explain to them, we just got a token gift. And they're like, what's a token gift? I was like, okay, we paid them to kick the crap out of us. And then they gave us a little trinket and said we earned it. And you're so excited about this trinket. And this trinket they gave to us is probably not even worth 50 cents. But you're going to hold on to this thing and cherish it. And you got to be so proud because we earned this. Yeah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you don't know understand. They're, they're messing with your head, and they're telling you you earned something. You know, you just got your bucket tonight. You didn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. It's like, you didn't really learn anything tonight, did you? And all my sins were not happy with me a lot because I would seriously just sit around and think about it. And then I go, okay, we did these seven things over these four days, and now they told us that we have learned and earned something. That was one thing, pledging-wise, I probably could have done differently because I just thought so much. I had to understand it. I had mm-hmm. to understand why we did this. I had to understand why they why this was given to us. And I mean literally, okay, quote-unquote, earned. And, and then once we got it, I was like, okay, what does this mean? What does it mean going forward? Oh, now you want to do everything you can to not lose it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, they took us to another level now. Now they have this trinket. <laughs> And we're supposed to like guard it with our lives and whatever and not let anyone else see it or touch it or whatever. And so I and and then of course when I was online, you should know we always ask the same question of the pledges. You get instructions, whatever. Do you have any questions? Yep. Hand goes up. Nope, not baby. Anybody else? You got Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) anyhow, that whole questioning thing came from my childhood because. If I was going to get the belt, I wanted to know exactly why I was getting the belt and why there wasn't another option besides getting the belt. Can we talk about it? Mm -hmm. Can you explain to me what I did wrong? Can you tell me the things that led up to this happening so that I do not do it again, so that I am not dispositioned again? And that was always me as a kid. Okay, okay, okay. What did I say wrong? what exactly did I, did, I, did I do right here? Please tell me before I get hit, you know? and mm-hmm. I don't want to do this again, you know? And that was not the way it was. It was, you got hit, you got hit. Uh-huh. So my family used to always tell me, you're going to be a lawyer one day. I'm like, no, I'm not going to be a lawyer one day. I'm just trying to protect my skin. I was always the belt first in the family, so mm-hmm. anyway.
2: And on the sort of outside of the fraternity, what what was going on with you, your college life, your personal life? How's that looking around this time?
1: Oh, it was hunky-dory, I guess, because (laughs) (laughs) I have been told many times that by a number of people, I am the only college student they knew that was sending money home to their parents every month, as opposed to parents sending money to you. And my, my parents put a lot of pressure on me when I was that, you know, my college years, to continue to help support them. And now when I look back on it, it wasn't great at the time. That's just the way I was taught. And if I wasn't sharing and if I wasn't working and giving them support, then I was being a selfish person. Of course, this is funny because I use this example all the time. I have a fascination with shoes. I love shoes. I love shoes. Uh-huh. I love shoes. I love shoes. So when I came to Chico as a freshman, I had two suitcases that were just shoes.
2: Oh, damn.
1: I brought 38 pairs of shoes with me to Chico. And that wasn't all the shoes that I owned in the world at the time. And uh, I, and I have never in my life owned a pair of Jordans, and I never will because that's not what I'm about. I just love shoes. If I see a pair of shoes that are cool and I feel as if I, I want to have them, then I buy them. Uh, it doesn't matter if they're a $3 pair of shoes, if they're $180 pair of shoes, $200 pair of shoes. If I see them, I like them. So anyhow, um, and I know where this comes from. When I was a fifth grader, I had this, uh, this girlfriend and that's when you're like it's so weird you go from the fourth grade to the fifth grade and you think that you just crossed this desert plain or whatever and and everything's different now you're like you're, you're halfway to being a teenager or something right and back then if you had a girlfriend you had to give her a ring and i don't know how many little girls in south central had green fingers from those cheap rings that we would buy for two dollars or whatever in the wig <laughs> shops. <laughs> but I had this this one girlfriend and and my mom liked for me to dress as I did when I was in preschool. I went to a Catholic preschool. So we had to wear the uniform basically. So in any case she also liked the idea of me wearing, we call them, quote unquote church shoes. know dress shoes with slick bottoms and I went through these little growth spurts and then more. I didn't go through many growth spurts I went through like plateaus where I just didn't grow anymore for a while over and over again but in any case in the fifth grade owned one pair of shoes (laughs) actually two but and and those are my school shoes and then my play shoes and I was never allowed to wear the play shoes to school the school shoes were freaking my church shoes. And, and in my elementary school, 52nd Street School, there was no grass. It was all asphalt. <laughs> just mm. like my junior high school and the and also my high school basically, right? That's just how it is in South Central. You don't have a lot of grass to play on at the schools. It's easier to asphalt, you know, <laughs> everything right. covered up and and playing kickball in church shoes, yeah. not mm. easy. Because it's slippery. Playing kickball in church shoes, wearing slacks. Oh, man, really not easy, right? And so this this girlfriend of mine, you know, because we're at this next level now, one day she's like, why do you always wear the same shoes? Man, Man, so I went home and asked my parents for some shoes and they said no. And growing up in my neighborhood, the way everyone judges you is they look down first and then up. They judge you off of your shoes. You can be a jerk, be looking bummy, but have a nice pair of shoes on. All right, okay, whatever. You can be the flyest dude anyone's ever seen in the world, and you have on some pro wings, pro beasts, oh, pro, pro wings were the, were the worst. You got some pro wings on, and you get no play. The girls don't want to talk to you, oh. your friends, even your buddies, they just clown you constantly, whatever. You know, we're we're growing up in a dang hood. So if you live in the hood, I got us. The truth is, no one really has money. If you because if you had money, you wouldn't live in the hood. Mm -hmm. See the logic there? Yeah, yeah. But everybody's pretending like they have money. You know, everyone's pretending like they're not getting government benefits or this or that or pretending like their parents aren't you know doing illegal things and whatever else. I don't know. So anywho. I'm asking for some shoes, you know, back then. Oh, she had Vans $20 for a pair of Vans. Vans are like the neutralizing shoe. You have a pair of Vans. You were cool. That was like, there, you're fine. You don't do anything extra. My parents smoked a whole lot of marijuana, but they couldn't or wouldn't buy me another pair of shoes. Uh huh. And then that summer, of the sixth grade when i went to go to paris california Mm -hmm. i had those same shoes those same play shoes for almost two years i think but that summer those shoes were now wrapped in duct tape just trying to make sure they stayed on my feet my feet didn't come out of them or whatever and i still have the first pair of shoes that i purchased for myself in my closet here in a special box of mine by memento's Of a pair of pro jogs. And I bought those shoes when I was working at the barbecue place.
3: Right.
1: And went to Stater Brothers (laughs) when I got off work at nine o'clock. And I don't know if I told you that story but I'm standing in line and a lady. And when I pull all this cash out and pay those shoes, I still have those shoes to this day. And I me. keep thinking, oh, i bronze those shoes one day, you know, but I'm like, crap, they're going to be heavy as crap, you know, whatever. Oh. <laughs> but in any case, um, when I started, you know, hustling more to make money, the thing I would do for myself was buy shoes. Now, growing up in South Central, I did not want to buy shoes that were going to be taken from me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I found shoes that I liked that were still cool you know I buy Adidas or Fila or whatever I just wouldn't buy the newest Adidas or Fila or I wouldn't you know buy the newest Nikes or whatever I I was always maintaining my status as you know still a cool kid whatever without having to be beat up but I also like dress shoes so really fly dress shoes Stacy Adams there you go you know, and uh, or shoes that just look a little weird or off or whatever, you know, weird soles on them or whatever that type of thing. Love them. And what the time I was! Junior in high school, I was into trying to look fly all the time for the girls, you know, you know, trying to look good yes. for the girls yeah, yeah. and stuff. So I had, uh, I had three places that I love to go buy shoes. Two downtown. LA. and one on Hollywood Boulevard, and you would go to these little mom-and-pop shoe places, and they have all the nice big display things, but there'd be like that one weird pair of shoes in the back with this incredible buckle on it or something.-huh And I'd buy those shoes. and when I came to school, like the next day with these fly shoes, the girls would be like, "Oh, my God, look at those shoes!" Okay, the other thing, is, the other thing there is, is, is I have a weird fascination with women's shoes. Uh-huh. Oh my goodness. I mean, I have been employed in so many places, and the one thing that women at work always want to talk to me about is, hey, Marcel, do you see my new shoes? You know I saw your new shoes already. Come on, man. I saw you in the with them shoes on. And I would talk to them about all these, and then, you know, I was like, um, and I would tell them, you need to get some band-aids. Come to my office. I got a, I got a first aid kit. Put some oh, band-aids geez. on right now on your on your ankle on your heels. Uh-huh. I don't think I need them by lunchtime. Hey Marcel, you got them band-aids? I oh, told you no. you need some band-aids on the, the back of your foot. And I'm like, you know, they rub and everything. I'm like, them shoes are nice, but you gotta break them in first. And this, mm-hmm. I mean, oh my, oh, 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 oh. I am not joking. I've had like so many lunch sessions where we'd be four or five of the women and myself, and we were like, we're gonna talk about shoes today. Let's talk about shoes today. And we just sit down and talk about women's shoes and whatnot and so that fascination with shoes came with not having them when I was little. And when I was, uh, when I graduated college and I had my own apartment, I had a two bedroom and that second bedroom had my computer, my work desk, doing my work stuff at home. And then the other three walls, cause two and a half walls, whatever, were just racks, mm. gray racks that I bought and they just had shoes on them.
2: And that was my thing. I love shoes. Why no Jordans? You said you would not buy Jordans. I do not like Michael Jordan. I am oh, probably like-
1: one of the few basketball fans in the world who do not that there's, does not like Michael Jordan. There's only like seven people there's
2: only seven of you. Why there's only seven, yeah. There's only
1: seven. <laughs> I, Why not? When I whew, when I started watching basketball, that was not by choice. Uh-huh. <laughs> my, my stepdad had this rule: if the Lakers are on. I was going to watch the Lakers or if the Lakers are on, I was going to get a whooping and I was going to watch the Lakers. I used to choose option number two over and over and over again. Kind of like me being a pledge. Uh And my whole thing was, yeah, I don't want to do this. I don't want to watch this. I don't, I'd rather be outside playing or whatever. And, and so if I'm going to do this, I'm going to fight first. Yeah. Of course I'm on the receiving end of all the blows and everything, you know? And so. I I can't tell you, I would say maybe 70, 80% of the Laker games I watched my first two or three years of watching basketball were always through tears. (laughs)
0: Because
1: I just, I I didn't want to watch basketball. And my stepdad used to quiz me. And this is before DVRs. Good Lord. The game's on live. And he was from Chicago, but he was a diehard Laker fan. And his rule was, was, was simple. If the Lakers were playing that day and they won, didn't matter what happened. Life was good. Lakers lost. I'm probably going to get hit that day one way or the other. That's just mm. how, how it was. I got suspended one time and came home. Lakers were on. And I sat there and then I'm sitting there just praying. I'm like, I hope they win this game. Please win this game. Please win this game. Because you get suspended you're out of school for three days you're gonna get mm-hmm. the butt whooped you're gonna be under punishment for at least two weeks that was that was the that's how it was that was the general rules there Lakers one stepdad says to me oh yeah by the way you guys suspended from school today yep i'm i'm ready for to go get the belt and whatever else and he's like oh okay well i guess i'll get you some extra chores about the house and whatever and that was it and i was like what oh what what just happened here that's how it was. Lakers win, everything's good. So that being said, my stepdad, you know, fourth grade, his whole thing was and what's going to happen next? And who's who's going to pass the ball to? And why do you think they're going to call this player? What's going to happen? And then as a little, as a fourth, fourth grade kid who didn't play basketball, mm-hmm. it sucked because if I answered the questions predicting what the Lakers are going to do, answer the question wrong, that usually resulted in me getting yelled at or hit. Huh. So That's the real reason I didn't want to watch basketball. You get it? Mm -hmm. It was just like, hey, I'm about to get my butt beat over something I don't understand. But uh, it did help me out later on because I really understood basketball. (laughs) (laughs) Really understood basketball. And told you a story about when I started playing basketball. And I still hated the game. But once I had that one little girl tell me in the seventh grade that I looked good out there playing, it was over. Yeah, it was basketball was going to be the, you know, I was going to be it. I was going to play basketball. And I say this over and over again. Basketball probably saved me so many times growing up in in that interesting environment of mine because, you know, I had a 38 put in my forehead. And I was told in a basketball game I was going to lose. Yeah, I'm losing this next game and the next one after that as well. You know, and uh, senior in high school, I'm playing basketball at Venice Beach. And we're, I'm just killing this dude. And he stops, goes to the sideline, grabs his bag, pulls a knife out, tries to stab me on the basketball court because he said I was trying to embarrass him in front of his friends and his girlfriend at you all. Know, but on the flip side, I can't tell you the number of times that <clears throat> playing basketball in Inglewood and whatnot, whoo, cause I moved around so a lot, so much. Right. Mm-hmm. And you always want to play and you go to a new place. And of course you're the new guy. Everybody wants to check you. Everybody wants to see, you know, if you can play or not, they want to, you got a nice bag. You know, I used to crap, you know, I wouldn't buy a Nike bag. I would buy like a champion bag or a a via bag, you know, just a couple levels down from the Uh Nike. So they wouldn't steal my bag, you know, (laughs) but uh, playing ball and I was skinny and small, but I, I had, I had handles and I could shoot and I was fast as crap. And I learned, you know, the better I played basketball, the more likely I was to not get jumped that day or <laughs> the gang the gangs would like they leave you alone if you can ball, especially if you were out there balling like on Saturday and they decided they wanted to, they wanted to have a point guard or they pick you up and you play on their team as long as you keep winning. You know, mm-hmm. you see them two or three days later or whatever, and they're, you know, beating up this kid or whatever. And then you walk by and they're like, oh, what's up, little man? How you doing, man? Oh, man. He was like "Give me tens, like just drop a dimes on me the other weekend, whatever. And they go back to punching somebody. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> just like, that's how oh, it was. No. So basketball saved my life, you know, so many times when I was a kid. But to answer your question, life at home back in L.A. wasn't great. And. Socially, I was okay in college, you know, when I was pledging around that time. But, I mean, I didn't stop sending money home and helping my parents out when I was in college until, you know, wow. You know, I, I'm, I'm one of those uh, six-year college students, mm-hmm. and that's because I tried to do a little bit too much in school. So I have a degree in psychology, and I have two minors, but I was trying to do a double minor or triple major and that that wasn't working out so well, so I had a had seven classes left to finish that second degree, and I burned out. I was already working working for a software company and then trying to do that sixty hours a week <laughs> and then go to school at night. I had all night classes, and then I was also trying to run the fraternity back then so Got to a point where I just burned out and decided I'm trying to go to school so I can get a job doing exactly what I'm doing right now as a job. <laughs> uh-huh.
2: Does not make sense? So, anywho, I'm a, I'm gonna rewind a little bit. Is it when you were watching basketball with your stepdad about Jordan? Oh, oh yeah. What well, we was the, this? Why specifically Jordan?
1: I'm watching the Lakers. Okay. Yes. 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 Showtime. Magic yeah. passing the ball, the ball whipping. And back then, Magic was not my favorite player. You know, Magic is my favorite player now, but back then it was Byron Scott because Byron Scott was the guy who caught the ball in the corner and hit threes. Mm-hmm. And back in those days, I was so small and skinny, I used to shoot a lot of outside shots. I didn't say they went in, but I shoot a lot of outside shots. <laughs> <God laughs> Trust me, I shot the ball a lot. Because the girls would always comment on that one or two shots she made, right? So Mm -hmm. I would shoot the ball like crazy. And I didn't want to go into the lane at all because I was small and skinny and they used to get knocked down and we played on asphalt. Right. So I was like, man, I I wasn't going to the hole. No, I wasn't going to the hole to save my life. That ain't happening. But Jordan, I remember when he, you know, he came out and he should have went to Portland, but. The number one pick went to Portland, so he ended up having – he went to Chicago, the number two pick. And here's this dude, and he has his tongue out when he's dunking, and he's scoring 30 points, 40 points a game. And I would sit there with my stepdad, who is literally just drilling all this damn basketball in my head, right? And I got to the point where I realized I knew more about basketball than he did, okay? He's drilling all the stuff in my head about basketball. And there's this one guy who is not following the script, And everyone just loved Jordan. See, this is the thing about Jordan. People forget. Jordan's first, until he won that first ring against a depleted Laker team where Magic Johnson played with a pulled hamstring and Byron Scott played with a pulled hamstring. And I love showing that little up and under, oop shot that he did against right. AC Green. I mean, I could just bring it all back. I mean, I'm just, but the point is this prior to that, Jordan was a halfway bust because Jordan sold shoes, but he didn't win games. Mm. And so my whole point was this dude's going to bite his tongue off one day. My stepdad, he's not going to bite his tongue off. And I'm like, how was how this good basketball? He scored 40 points, but the team lost by 30.
2: Right.
1: The Bulls sucked until they got Pippen, until they got Rodman, it was just like, it was Jordan out there scoring and the and losing and losing and losing. But then again, when you lose like crazy, you get good high draft picks, right? Right. So he was the opposite of my Lakers. And that's why I never liked them. And the next part was in my neighborhood, you were some nice Jordans,
2: right?
1: You know, you're you got to fight a lot. And I was like, I was fighting enough as it was. I mean, I had to fight when I got home, but those are one way fights. I don't get to swing back. So <laughs> right. when I'm out in the street, I don't want to fight every day because I have a pair of shoes on that someone else wants. I mean, I grew up not wearing gold chains and stuff. In my hood, everybody wants to wear a gold chain. You know, my parents, you know, my mom bought me a gold chain. I never put it on. She's mm-hmm. always mad. Me, why do not you wearing this gold chain? Well, what of them, why? So I can get into a fight every day, try to keep it? That made no sense to me. I didn't need Jordan's and gold chains to impress the girls. And that's all I cared about back in those days, anyway, right? So right, right. I didn't need it, you know. Now, there's there's the thing again, you know, I think I impressed the girls. So <laughs> <laughs> but that that's my reason for, for not liking Jordan. <clears throat> okay. It was literally, I am, you know, he was a decent basketball player, I guess, whatever. But <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hey, he's pretty good. Yeah, he's all right.
1: Yeah, he's all right. <clears throat> but he's no magic. I mean, come on, man.
2: Yeah. and I want to go back a little bit or forward to you sort of feeling burned out. And that's, that's definitely a feeling, you know, as I, I saw brothers at ASU, it's really hard juggling school, the fraternity, personal life, relationships, extra stuff, whatever it may be. What was leading up to you feeling burned out? You know, besides, you know, working and 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 school so
1: i switched over to all night classes right so Mm -hmm. that i could be at this job in a day 40 hours a week not a problem except here i am thinking that i knew stuff because when you go to school you learn a lot of great things in class right And then when you go to apply those things in the real world, you start to learn that the real world doesn't work the way the classroom setting is, right? Mm -hmm. So I had somewhere around here, I still have, some certificate from this five week intense course that says that I'm an AIX administrator for Unix. Great, I paid like $2,000 to take this class at the end of the semester. While I was still in school, I passed the class. There were what 22 of us that started, only eight of us passed the class. You Can't get an A to pass, it's out of class work, right? So um, here I am now working at this software company. I think I know stuff. And when I'm in school and I'm writing programs, I have 300, 400 lines of code. I think I'm decent. And I'm not saying I'm great, but I'm thinking I'm decent. And then I show up to the software company and there's 2,000 lines of code oh, for just like one module, you know, what? And then, you know, you're in there trying to troubleshoot and what I, well, that just threw me off. Then I didn't grow up with computers, basically,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and I didn't get into computers until My third year of college is what happened. (laughs) I was a year away from graduating with my psych degree. And Big Brother Rudolph, who I love so much, he was my roommate. And I went into his room one night just to bother him about something else. He was working on a a COBOL program and just blew my mind. And I'm bothering him saying, teach me how to do this, show me that. And he's like, leave me alone. I got to get my assignment done. He's (laughs) like, If you're interested in this stuff, take a class next semester. So I just, it like a little switch went off of my mind. I am not a techie. I am not a techie, but unfortunately for me or good or bad, a lot of the tech stuff just came to me, right? Wow, Just, it works for me. My mind can do things or whatever, but I don't enjoy it. I don't love it. I don't live for it. I don't try to stay up on all the most current things and whatever else that was never me. It was just like, oh, I could do this. This is fun. And then I was like, okay, I got a job doing it now. And I found out that these guys that are working there have been, you know, on computers since they were like eight years old or whatever. And I'm on a help desk. And I'm on a help desk uh, supporting literally a million dollar Unix and Informix database system for some school district or some municipality. And they're asking me questions on how to fix this or that. And I am clueless. So my 40 hours a week turned into 60 hours a week because you had 24 hour access to the building. I'm going back to work after class and I am logging into my computer and I'm trying to solve these incidents. That's where, you know, someone has a problem. They came in as a ticket and that ticket was called an incident. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're on a help desk of four guys doing systems. There's other help desks that does like GL or accounts payable, something like that. We were a systems help desk. And I was the weak link. And on top of that, I happened to come into the company when they had just rolled out a whole new uh, version of their software that was very, very uh, undocumented featured. That's how they called it. Don't call it a bug. You call it an undocumented feature. So (laughs) these undocumented features and I'm trying to keep up with these guys. And so when I go and I leave work and I go to class, I'm not getting the best grades I can in in school in particular, because I'm answering questions based off what I know, not what they're asking is a good way of saying it. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: here it is. We have some tester quiz and half the answers on the quiz, I got it wrong. So I went and talked to the instructor afterwards. And the instructor is telling me, oh, you answered that wrong, you answered this wrong. And I said, well, your information you're presenting is not correct. He's like, what do you mean? And at that time, not to get much into it, but it was this whole thing about you couldn't do telnet sessions on Windows machines, uh, looped in to Informix database and all this stuff at the same time. And I'm telling him, yeah, we're doing it every single day, you know, at my job. On top of that, that's how we're getting our tickets in is with this Windows-based Telnet system. huh. And so my instructor at the time, one of them, he's like, oh my God, that's incredible. And so the next class, so he corrects my grades, you know, I'm cool. Next class, I show up and he says, oh, and Marcel, can you please tell them, you know, what you're doing today at XYZ company that you work at? And I'm like, no, I can't do that. Because first of all, I'm paying you to teach me. And second of all, I'm not supposed to be talking about what my company is doing. (laughs) You know, and that just got old. And it was happening in more classes I had. Uh, An instructor would say, oh, Marcel, can you tell us about this and that and your experience with these things? And I'm like, no, I am here to learn from you and get a grade and pass this class. But, you know, consistently you're asking me to talk about some things that I'm doing. And I'm sure it's good for the class, but that's not what I'm here for. I had, when my last semester came up that I was in in school, I I don't remember what happened, but I was just burnt out. The good thing was I was making major money back then for a college student, which was great. Uh And I was like three times what minimum wage was. And then still living as a college student, when you got three to four roommates sharing that rent bill, sharing your utility bill, sharing your cable Mm -hmm. bill, I mean, it was great. Uh, It was a decision. It was like, do I continue killing myself? Because I was. And at the same time, you should know, the fraternity stuff comes at you unexpectedly, right? Mm -hmm. And that's because we're all human so-and-so is doing this, so-and-so is doing that, in the process of them doing these two or three things, either something good or bad happens, and then you, as in me back then, end up being someone who's pulled into it to try to, you know, fix some problem or move something forward, and I was back then living in the fraternity house, being quote-unquote den mother, And that was because the owner of the house was was a brother wouldn't let us use the house fraternity house unless I lived there to make sure that they didn't destroy his house. So it was a lot of pressure from those different angles, but that's how my burnout happened. One day I went in and talked to my manager and asked him if I could basically just come on because I was full time already, but I was still listed as an intern, even though I was, you know, an employee there. Wow. And so he said, "No, you need to finish your degree. You're gonna you're gonna regret never graduating from college." And I was like, "I graduated. I got a degree two years ago, man. Finished <laughs> my psych degree two years ago. <laughs> I just been working on the second degree this whole time." Yeah. And he was like, "Oh you have been." He was like, "I didn't know that." I was like, "Yeah, come on, man." And so he was like, "Oh, I guess if you want," and he was like, "We'll, we'll have HR." drop your official papers and stuff and you have benefits and stuff, whatever else now. And I was like, all right, cool, whatever. And that's what I
3: nice.
2: Yeah. Were you surprised at all that uh, you were looked at as uh, a leader in the, in the fraternity? No. Okay.
1: That's a separate answer for me for that. Okay. And I, I would, I will tell you why it is because I am not a follower. Hmm. And I never have been. And the reason I haven't I was never a follower as a kid it was because of those great cousins of mine. Those, You know, it's uh, <laughs> if the adults were smart. They, should, they would always know something was going on because the rule was everyone got the belt. Someone's screwing up and you guys are all together. Everyone gets the belt. Right? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I got the belt enough to where I didn't want to get extra belt. Does that make sense? (laughs) I mean, I had my—I was my cup was runneth over, okay, (laughs) with the belt. (laughs) So I need more belt. And I remember (laughs) this one time, we were over in East LA when my cousins, and when I say cousins, I mean I growing up, there's like 30 of them or something, Mm -hmm. and I'm like right in the middle, but they were all gonna go down to like the candy house. There's always a candy house in the neighborhood, someone's house, and they go and they buy a whole bunch of candy and they let two or three kids at a time in their living room and they buy candy, you know, so they don't go to the store. They got a candy house. They're going to go to the candy house and they were going to go to this field and they were going to like do something, maybe set a fire or whatever else. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to stay right here. And I'm, I'm that kid that you couldn't you couldn't do that whole oh, you're a little punk or blah, blah, cool Cool. Yeah, I'm a punk. I'm a punk today. That's what I am today, right? Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Because once again, my cousins or friends or whatever, I can fight them. I couldn't fight the adults, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this day, cousins all take off and they're gone for, I don't know how long, maybe an hour, two hours. And I'm sitting on the porch, just sitting on the porch, looking at the, the, the sun and the, you know, and the clouds and whatever, just making sure that every adult sees me. Sitting on that porch doing nothing whatsoever. Somebody comes in the house, they go by, oh, what are you doing? Nothing. Just sitting here. Just sitting here. Making that clear. Just sitting here, right? Yep. <laughs> Later on that evening, uh, everyone gets marched in the house, and it, it was you know, so weird. The belt comes out, and everyone gets in line. Everyone's was going to get theirs. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was on the porch all day. <laughs> it was like, I wasn't with them. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Whatever. I still got the belt. Yeah. My reason I got the belt was because I knew they were doing bad things and I didn't stop them. <laughs> God damn it. How am I supposed to stop them? So in any case, uh, I, I, I had this one incident in, in school with the last time I ever had subjected to peer pressure. And it wasn't even that, but we had a sub, institute teacher, which was like, what? This is fourth grade. Yeah, it's fourth grade. And the sub, the kids around me are all acting up. I'm not acting up at all. But the sub turns around and says, you, you know, stop acting up, stop playing, or whatever. And I said, I wasn't doing anything at all. Yes, you were. Now you're talking back. principal's office. What? 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 You know, and the other kids are snickering. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my. Right. So principal's office knew me very well. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in there. Yeah. I don't care. Your podcast. I'm gonna say it right now. Miss Rubenstein. (gasps) Miss Rubenstein was our vice principal and she is the lady that made me fall in love with redheads Hmm. And um it's you know, interesting. I'm sitting there waiting for the vice the other vice principal. And Miss Rubenstein walks in. No, I was waiting for the principal. And Miss Rubenstein walks in and she's like, she's like, Marcel, what are you doing here? And I'm like, nothing. I didn't do anything, it wasn't my fault, blah blah. She was like, come to my office. Like, no, 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 I'm waiting for the principal. She's like, come to my office. Crap. Go in her office, sitting on the other side of her desk, so skinny caucasian lady like maybe a size two Mm -hmm. long red hair right because this is where it all it all fell apart for me back then okay (laughs) so then she uh damn it she picks up the phone and she dials a number well who's she calling and she's like hi pat pat whoa wait a minute (laughs) wait a minute first name basis (laughs) my mom this Mm -hmm. isn't good And she says, oh, yeah, we have them in the office again. And she says, I had to call you before I get permission. Okay, thank you. Permission? Permission for what? Hangs the phone up. She says, come to my side of the desk. Go to her side. She pulls open uh, the drawer. She has a paddle, a ping pong paddle with holes drilled in it. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, it's a good threat. Yeah, whatever, right? Uh Uh-huh. She's like, pull down your pants. Oh. I'm like, why am I pulling my pants down? I'm like, what? what's good? Pull you down your underwear. What the hell? Bent me over her knee in her in her office and went to town on me with this damn ping pong panel that what? my mom just told her she had permission to do, right? What? I'm like, what the hell? Crying, whatnot, gives me a tissue, tells me not to get in trouble again. All right, send me back to class. Go back to class. I'm traumatized. What the hell? These people are not supposed to be able to hit us. Right. Uh Not to mention, like, when you grow up in the hood, like the white people are supposed to be your protectors, your saviors (laughs) when you go to school. (laughs) I got home. My mom asked me what happened. I told her I got a butt whooping because I got in trouble at school that day. That's how I was. Next day, I'm in class. The teacher's back (laughs) and I'm sitting there, fingers crossed, eyes forward. Finish whatever you have to do, fingers crossed, eyes forward. Mm-hmm. Friends, buddies are you know tapping me, soup, soup, let's go do this. And I'm just like ignoring them. I am, I am like stone faced, not having anything to do with these kids, right? We go off a recess. And one of the one of the kids is like, man, like why, why are you ignoring me in class and whatever? And I told them really simple, I said, hey, I can kick your butt, but I can't kick my mom's butt. <laughs> So I'm not trying to get in trouble at all because I'm not trying to get that belt. Mm-hmm. And that was the last day that I'm, to my knowledge that I have ever succumbed and even I didn't do anything that day, but it was like, peer, it was like peer pressure was gone. Cause my mom told me, she said, and of your friends going to come to this house and get this belt for you. I couldn't think of one of my friends that was going to volunteer to come to my house and nope. get that belt for me. So that was it. Uh, that's one of the reasons I didn't get into a lot of trouble I always got in trouble because I was with a family member who was doing something bad. I wasn't doing anything bad. I wasn't trying to get in trouble in school. I love school and I wasn't trying to get in trouble in the neighborhood because somebody's going to call your mama and tell her you was doing something. Nah, man, nah. It wasn't my mama. It was my stepdad. I'm not, I'm not trying to get that belt. The whole life was not get that belt. So it made it real easy for me to not do things or not subject myself to someone telling me we should do this. Nah, nah. You know what? (laughs) <laughs> not interested you know if that's going to result in me getting a whooping nah and see my mom used to have this little thing where she would ask me when i got home was it worth it mm. and it was never worth <laughs> it. at one time it was worth it but up into that one time it was never worth it it was one time i went out with some friends and this girl And I was supposed to be back by curfew, but you know how it is when you're like having fun already and you're like, crap. And so, (laughs) woo, yeah, yeah. And my mom, her whole thing was, if you know you're going to get in trouble when you get home, you better have all the fun you can while you're out. So when I got home that night, after hanging out with this girl in particular, right, I may have got a kiss on the cheek or whatever else. I don't mm-hmm. know, something like that, whatever. But it was worth it. It was worth it. And so she asked me, she, like, I got to the door. <laughs> She's there with the belt already. <laughs> She's like, did you have fun? Yep. Was it worth it? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that, in turn, I guess, made me a leader because um, I get along well with people and I don't try to impose my will on people or whatever else. But at the same time, if you see I'm going in this direction and you want to come along, come on along. If I see something not going great, then I'm not going in that direction. Mm-hmm. And when it came to the fraternity, as I said, back to that person, Trayvon Robinson, whatever. I love him, but I don't like him. After I crossed, I was being told over and over again, oh, you're going to be a leader. You're going to be the next Tray." And that used to really bother me. And I'm like, I'm not Trey. I'm my own person and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But, And then besides that, it's just the fact that I love Rose so much. If you back to that whole trying to study and learn everything about the fraternity and why we are, if you honestly look at the ideals of Epsilon, Sigma, Ro, they're beautiful. They are. And the things that you get sold on, I have found out you have to make them true yourself. Mm. And you know, can't say things, you know, but yeah, I'm saying, you know, to have a pure heart mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean your heart is great and everything, but when it comes to your brothers and society and people, and you say to yourself, you know, I can do this and get over or I can not do this and someone else can also be good in life, you know, mm-hmm. or I can sacrifice today. And by me sacrificing, I help someone else out do something and I'll be okay in a couple of days or whatever, you know, and the whole thing of of just being there for someone else and having someone else be there for you. And that's just really important to me. Our fraternity and the ideals of our fraternity mean a lot to me. And they just happen to fit with my own thinking mm-hmm. about how I want to live my life. I love the hell out of you. You should know this. I know. Right? Right. Yeah. And... I don't agree with everything that you've done or not done or whatever, but you mm-hmm. should know. I think you do know if push comes to shove, I'm going to be in front of something else before it, before it hits you. You know yeah. this, right? Yeah, I do. Period. I do. But that's, that's, that's what it's supposed to be. We, we don't have to agree on everything all the time. We just have to be there for each other when we, when, when we need each other. Yeah. And then the other part about it is we need to be there for each other when we don't know that we need some help. Mm-hmm. Right? so being a leader in this fraternity is all about one thing. I got my brand, so I never walk away. And since I can never walk away, then that means I need to always be here.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And I have this rule, let us know if we don't get along with each other, we don't like each other, great. And if you come to me, then that means to me that you have exhausted every other resource that you possibly have, which Mm -hmm. is why you're coming to me. So if you come to me, I'm going to help you. I'm going to be there for you. I may not like it. <laughs> you know, whenever, whatever's done is done. I'm not going to sit there and, you know, oh, great. Blah, blah. No. Are you good? Good. And I'm going to walk my own separate way. Mm-hmm. But I, I was there for you. And that's what it's supposed to be about. And then, of course, trying to teach our, the people that come after us a better way as well, because every generation has to be an improvement on the next
3: Mm.
1: and in my opinion the way that you become a good parent is to ensure that you do everything possible so that your offspring and their friends and family and whatnot have things better than you and when i say things better than you that don't mean material it could be mindset and it could also be opportunities. My stepdad was an extremely racist person <laughs> up until the last couple of years of his life. And I grew up and most of my friends were Latino because that's, that's what was in my neighborhood, right? Or neighborhoods or schools I went to, whatever. And every single one of my friends that was male, his name was Julio. Mm. It didn't matter what his name was. Julio called. I don't have one friend actually named Julio. that would be calling my house so i'm trying to figure out who julio is right and then my stepdad uh was the king of getting fired (laughs) (laughs) i mean he was great at it and he was always the same thing you know he's one of those he's a black man that's gonna tell somebody his mind and whatever Mm, you know things i learned from him now No, no, no. When you have a family and you have a paycheck and you got to pay the rent and whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, you you learn. to You should learn to keep your opinions to yourself or whatever. Right. Right. And I used to hear the same thing over and over again. White people are the devil. Wow. Okay. you know, it's constantly all the time. The devil, the devil, the devil. White people are the devil. Your teachers at schools, they're all devils. And the people, you know, blah blah, they're all devils. They hate black people. And, a, and then I, every once in a while, just to do it, just to do it, I throw in there, um, what about Uncle David? That being my uncle who's white, uh-huh. <laughs> married to my African American aunt. Uh huh. <laughs> he just, well, he's different because he's family. But all the other white people oh, in the my. world are devils. <laughs>
2: Oh gosh.
1: So I was like, come on, man. I, I was like, oh, you're killing me. But I used to get that earfuls of that, you know, and he got fired because this devil took his job. Mm-hmm. No, you told your boss to kiss your ass. And so he told you to get the step in. Oh, well, that's not really the point. That's not why I got fired. I got fired because the white man's a devil. And all he's trying to do is keep me down and whatever. Mm, okay okay (laughs) (laughs) you telling him he's a devil probably didn't help either you know but right
2: didn't help the situation nah nah you brought up parenting and it's okay if you could share whatever you want to share but um i've noticed since my son was born a lot of my thoughts maybe not have changed but have been adjusted for like because we're we're raising a human. This is gonna be a human who's gonna be an adult and hopefully be a decent person. And a basketball um, player. And then decent basketball player. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. He I'll send you more video. I'll send you some videos. But uh, um, you know what, what has your experience been? And there's definitely things I don't want to repeat that my dad did to me and situations, but you are a dad. What's been your experience in this time? I will say this much.
1: I have done everything in my power to not be my parents
2: mm-hmm.
1: period thinking, attitude, opportunities, period.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I'm not saying my parents were the worst parents on the face of this earth, but there weren't too many awards that I could think of during my childhood that they should have you know received That being said being a parent to someone biologically is not the same thing as being a help mentor or whatever. As you know, I refer to everyone that's pledged under me as my kids. Right. Yeah. And I've told you before, it has nothing to do with, it's not like a derogatory thing. It is someone that I'm going to love and take care of and be there for and whatnot. Someone I'm going to help most because you're putting you know, for a temporary time or whatever, you're putting your trust in me.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it's the same thing, you know, as a kid, except they don't know they're doing it because they're just there, right? Yeah. But if you can't change or if, if you have anything that you didn't like, like I tell you pledging wise, right? Don't do anything to anyone that you didn't like or wasn't hey. done to you. And even if it's part of the process, if you didn't like it, then don't participate in it. Because then you're being a really bad hypocrite. Okay. Mm-hmm. The whole do as I say, not as I do. I'm sure you've heard yeah. that in life in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work for me very well. I am seriously about keeping myself in line and in check and living my life as an example, not just words.
3: Mhm.
1: And when it comes to parenting, I think that's the same thing. You know, you tell your kids something, well, show them as well. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I mean if you tell your kids, you know, um if you tell your kids something along the lines of don't be racist, don't be homophobic, don't be this, don't be that, but then at the same time you're the one commenting to your friends or whatever, making, you know, something, make it a joke out of someone else's life. Mm-hmm. Then what you're showing your kid at that point is, it's okay to say something, but not follow through and believe it and do it. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, that's part of the whole thing about Epstein-Cinheiro. It's not perfect, you know, but I had enough men at that time in my, in my life when I was younger, who were showing not a hundred percent, but just enough pieces here and there of all the things that i believe in you know mm-hmm. and and when i say that i'm gonna tell you i i have sniper is my big bro mac family food
3: Hello.
1: and Dog was my roommate sniper was also my roommate when i was online and rudog and i were way closer than sniper and i, I and mean, that's totally cool because sniper and i had our purpose rudy and i had our purpose and Rudog like took me home for Christmas one year. And so I went to Riverside with him and his family. And it was it was so much fun and incredible because uh, there's there's the bunk beds, and there's the room that all the boys stayed in. And the moment I showed up, you know, I met his parents and whatever else, and it was like Miho, this and that. Great, I'm in, right? And it was in the room with the bunk beds and somebody like these are all adults. Keep this in mind. These men are all adults, but they come and stay home with their, their, their parents. <laughs> they're mm-hmm. all in college or one way, something like that. Right. Come on stay home with their parents. And I got punched or something that first night for talking trash. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll get you tomorrow morning. We ain't looking because they're you know, a little bigger than me and whatever else, you know, but whatever.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But, um, here are the parents and I could see how, just talking to Rudy for a number of years and then seeing how he and his mom and dad interacted and then seeing how they interacted with the other boys and them just throwing me in the fold because Rudy said I was there and I was a brother and they just took me and loved me. And I appreciate that. Right. And I'm thinking about a lot of things that Rudy experienced with his dad, Rudy would, um, his summers, he would go with his dad and drive his dad's um, um, semi Whoa. to help his dad make money. Yeah. So here is, is this teenager. Now, you know, he's a young adult. but from teenage to young adult years here, this guy is, is taking his summers off, not making money. His dad's making money, which is helping the family or whatever, but he's in this darn, he's driving this semi so his dad can sleep and doing these deliveries and whatever else, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's incredible. You know, that's just, and then you start to talk to his dad a little bit, talk to his mom a little bit and the things from when they were younger to how their parents are doing things with them now or at that time. And you just start learning. It's like, okay, wow. You know, parents can evolve, right? Um, You start off one way, your kid is evolving, you're evolving, and whatever you thought may have been a good idea, you know, five, 10 years ago, now, you don't agree, you don't think that's a smart thing anymore. And so, uh, on top of treating your kids different or better, you're also telling your kids at the same time, they can evolve, they can change, they can become better. And That's all I can hope and wish for you. I mean, I'm not going on this podcast going to anything about you and your childhood and things you've told me. But, wow, I know for a fact that Oliver is a happy kid. Yeah. You know, besides the fact that he's so dang good looking. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. You send me pictures. And I'm not joking. I mean, I could. people are like, oh, are you smiling right now? And I'll just I got a picture. And then I'm literally like showing the picture to people, you know, and they're just, oh, okay. I'm like, no, I don't think you understand. <laughs> like, like, this is like, this is the baby's so beautiful. And they're oh. like, oh yeah, no, you don't understand. This baby's beautiful. I know everything ain't perfect in this baby's life, but that's a happy kid. Yeah. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah.
1: So I think of my own childhood. I think about things you told me, and I'm like, man, to be a happy kid what else can you really give to your kid besides happiness or at least the opportunity to be happy? Right. So that's my whole thing about parenting. Uh, yeah. Be better than what you, what you got, not saying whatever you had was bad, but you're supposed to always, your kids are supposed to be the better version of you.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. I do look at you as a, a huge, not a fat joke, but a huge uh, well, I am influence on, on my life. And so I thank you for everything through, through the years. Uh, I know you're only 18. So 17. 17. 17. Oh. That's, that's not
1: legal. And um yeah, that's that's the point. It's not legal. Got it. And I uh lost a bunch of weight over this last year for the record. So I think like the first time I was 315, I made it all the way down to 268. Hey. And then I fell off the wagon. Oh. oh. And uh but I'll get back the goal is to get myself down to about 240 or so, hopefully in 2022. I, I, don't, I don't ever want to be less than 240 pounds for the rest of my life, but I'm not in the 300s anymore, back in the 270s at this point. But I'm, I'll live with that for now. Yeah. You know, holiday season is hard. It it's is hard on you. Very hard. You know, yeah. so because I'm not going to lie, I had apple pie and ice cream around 3 o'clock this morning. Nice. because i didn't want i didn't want the i just, i didn't want the, the apple pie it was like one slice left, yeah, and I just kept thinking that poor slice is feeling bad for itself it's left out, yeah, so I had to had to you know take care of it last night, but in any case um
2: I love yeah. you, you I, know love, that. I love you bean i'll stop the recording so we could shoot the shit for a little bit, but thank okay. you for for doing this
1: actually, i wouldn't mind doing one more if you ever if oh you yeah ever have a free slot whatever because you know, we talked about some stuff, but we should probably talk about some more serious topics or whatever else. And
2: just because. Yeah. Ah. See, it works. Ah, see, people say it, and they ah, don't know that they say yeah. it. We just, just because.
1: Big brothers would be like, you know, drop me, give me twenty, and I would say, yes, sir, but you can't. And, you know. Oh. I would, yes. <laughs>